Folks, a quick message from our sponsors, Know Before. So what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of cybersecurity, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors, Know Before, will tell you, human error is how most organizations are compromised. What are some of the ways organizations are victimized by social engineering? We'll find out here in just a minute. Now, our sponsors' questions about forms of social engineering come in this form. Know Before will tell you that there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. To do that, they need a new school security awareness training. See how security culture stacks up against Know Before's free phishing test. Get it now at knowbefore.com forward slash phishing test. That's knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Now, no before wants to thank you for listening to the show and I want to thank them for sponsoring it. They are the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated fishing platform. Be sure to take advantage of their free fishing test, which you can find at knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Think no before for your security training. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's CISO Talk podcast. I'm James Azar, your host. I have a very, very amazing special guest coming up here in just a moment. Today's episode's a little different, though, folks. Today's episode is with an amazing man, Sam Phillips. You guys are going to love this guy, but here's the deal. It's only a partial episode. Why, James? Why are you doing this to us? I'll tell you why. April 27th, Sam and I are going to be doing a fireside chat that's going to continue in this episode for the uh, cyber fintech event that I'll be moderating, hosting here in Atlanta, Georgia with our keynote speaker, Ross Young, the CISO over at Caterpillar Financial, and so many other great people like Sam are going to be there. So you don't want to miss it. You want to sign up for it because that's how you're going to catch the rest of this episode is by going to atpcyberfintech.com to catch the rest of it. So you're going to start watching now and then midway through the rest of the content will be available exclusively on atpcyberfintech.com. So go there and register now. So also subscribe to the podcast, share the show, let all your friends and colleagues know about the awesome CISO Talk podcast. And now without further ado, you guys know what time it is. So subscribe, get ready because it's time for CISOs to have a conversation. CISO Talk time. Here we go. Three, two, one. From the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio, you're listening to the CISO Talk Podcast. No sales, no bullshit, just straight talk. Straight talk. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Sam, 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 welcome to the podcast. Hey, James, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. These are always fun. I love doing these kinds of things. Me, me too. So Sam is the head of uh, information security architecture over at the Great Bank of Wells Fargo. I appreciate you taking time to join us today. I'm very grateful for it. Oh, my pleasure. And, I, and like I say, I, I really love doing these things. And I, you know, I always learn a lot. Uh, and uh, hopefully I'll learn quite a bit more today. I'm hoping that people learn more from you. Uh, <laughs> us from them today but we, we you know we've got a very exciting event coming up on april 27th part of the, a good part of this podcast will be available exclusively on the atp uh, cyberfintech.com event page so for those that want to go there and tune in they can but sam so 
But kind of as we get started, could you just share with our listeners and our audience, people who are watching us and people who are listening, how'd you get started in cyber? What was your journey like? Um, initially, it was uh, sort of like a side event. So I was working at the Boeing company uh, some years back, and we'll kind of leave the timeline out. But uh, so I was working at Boeing and I worked in the commercial airplane group at that point in time. That's what they call the commercial airplane side of the world. And uh, they were the company was trying to start building out a security practice internal to Boeing. So ensuring that all the various divisions and organizations within Boeing had uh, a focused security program. So I got uh, nominated to join and become uh, the uh, first real manager of the cyber or watch. Well, at that point in time, was just the security information security team within commercial. Uh, and we were in the architecture organization and commercial. So you know, from there, it kind of grew, uh, worked with, uh, with several people within the overall program and the corporate uh, teams. And we started to really build out a security program there. And so we added in things, you know, such as uh, we, we, you know, first thing you get started off with is things like access controls. And we started talking about network security and then platform security and then some of the things that we needed to start doing there. And really, like I say, built out a, an overarching program for the whole of Boeing uh, with a distinct focus in on each one of the various lines of business. So at that point in time, it was defense and space. Uh, we had commercial. There was uh, Boeing's uh, shared services and, and several other uh, uh, organizations. So again, like I say, what our focus was, was really just, you know, what do we need to do? How do we build it out? And then I started putting together resources from the various divisions within commercial airplane uh, to really provide that focus. Um, so that was really sort of the start for me. Um, from there, we really started building out a, a bigger piece of the infrastructure and started getting more deeply engaged in uh, external activities so that we had a better view as to what was going on within the industry, uh, as well as within the security side of the world. So that was sort of the start. Yeah, I, I love the start of InfoSec where it's just someone raised their hands and they were just like, hey, we need someone to do security. Anyone? Anyone? And you're just kind of like, I'll do it. Exactly. Not knowing what you're really signing up for. Well, that was kind of it. Is is like you know my, my my job to that point really wasn't information security. I mean, we talked about things like access control. Um, we talked about uh, you know profiles and things along those lines. At that point in time, we didn't really call them profiles, but you know it was access profiles that you could assign to people, and it really wasn't a you know, a well defined area at that juncture. And so it was sort of like. Okay, yeah, we, we need to do that. And then we need to you know, restrict what people had access to that they didn't. Uh, and then also allow, make sure that people did have access. And, and, and at that juncture, the networks, I mean, we were still having the debate between what the baseline of the network was going to be. Uh, you know, was it going to be TCP? Was it going to be some other protocol? And so, <laughs> so there was a lot of, you know, SNA was like it. And so SNA was not exactly what you would call one of those things that was very flexible. I mean, you were really talking to the mainframes and the mainframe infrastructure. So we started building it out. That was great. Uh, I think, you know, the, our, our word processing tool was something that somebody had built and you could put up to 65,000 bytes in it, which we thought was fantastic. I mean, who would write anything with more than 65,000 bytes in it? And <laughs> You know, very soon we found out they didn't last very long. And so, you know, then you had to start looking at uh, commercial tools. And so, you know, things like Word started coming around and so Lotus, uh, Lotus 1, 2, 3 and some of these other applications. And so we started, you know, looking at things along those lines. Uh, we worked very closely with uh, our friends at Microsoft and others to really start to drive security built into their products. So we did, you know, some really interesting things there. 
You know, I love the idea of uh, uh, information security architecture as a CISO. I, th- I think there's a, uh, the, you know, having a good team is, is is critical, and we'll get to that later. Um, I don't, I don't want to get to the geeky part six minutes into the episode. That's no fun. You know, we got I got to get listening and viewing time up here. So um, we're gonna, we're going to have people hang on for just a minute before we get into infosec architecture. Um, talk a little bit about um, you know team building and kind of the skills you look for, for people who are trying to start a career in in information security architecture, what would be, what are some of the key skills you look for when you're, when you're building your team? Uh, A large part of it is really, you know, obviously you want to look for people with background and at least some level of information security. And typically with architecture, you want them to have had experience, practical experience uh, within the information security arena. So engineers and, you know, things along those lines, people that have been really, you know, practicing or working on it. Uh, a lot of times we'll have people that have been developing, you know, like networks and building out networks uh, and they take a liking to security. And so, you know, you look at their skill set and the things that they've done, how they've done that. And then the next piece of that is, can they walk and talk and chew gum at the same time? So in other words, you know, can they talk with the people at the, you know, the real detail level or at least a reasonably level of detail? And can they also talk to an executive and explain it without getting into a ton of detail? The execs typically don't really have the background to, to really t- you know, participate in those sessions. So you've got to be very crisp and clean and very brief and to the point to help them. So it's a, it's a really, it's a challenge. You've got, you want people with a lot of technical skill and a lot of technical background but you also want them to have the social skills to be able to have a conversation with different levels of management as well as different levels, even within the engineering and operations teams. Um, so, you know, you got to have that background, but you also have to be able to walk and talk and chew gum at the same time. You know, it's, it's very, very fascinating as we look at kind of the workforce. I don't want to say shortage, but part of the challenge of the workforce is we have, I think, 80 people apply for an entry level role. But then that mid-range role, we may get four or five people that apply for it simply because of the expectations or the qualifications that are required make it very, very difficult. Do you find like one specific background tends to give people more of an edge in, in some cases, or is it more of the desire or ability to learn that, that stand out to you more? I, you know, my practical experience really is around the desire and the ability to learn. Uh, I think having both interpersonal communication skills, um, being somewhat forthcoming really are, are tools that you really need in this particular job because you've got to work with a lot of different people. Um, we really look for people with a, you know, a fairly broad background although they need to have some level of expertise in, you know, in an area. And let's pick like, for example, network security or cloud security or something along those lines, uh, because you're going to look for skill set to help you grow in that area. And you want people with that background and that common understanding to help really drive the right uh, approach. And so, you know, we spend quite a bit of time looking at, you know, at, at folks with a, a broad level of skills, um, the ability, and I think, you know, again, communication, interpersonal skills are really critical. Uh, we've got several people that have, you know, they're very, uh, you know, almost introverted, uh, but they also are very good at expressing themselves. And, you know, the introvert gives them the good focus that you need to really build out your architecture uh, and build out the detail behind it to help drive the, you know, the, the approach that you're looking for. 
but they also need to be able to, again, like I say, explain it and communicate with everybody, not just folks in the in the uh, the technology organization. Um, it's very hard to find. Uh, we find a lot of people with you know great skills, but you know they're missing something, and, and a lot of times it's just their ability to communicate with, well with others. What's the easiest skill to teach, the technical or the social part? Uh, I think the technical. And, you know, and some of that also depends upon um, their approach to life or, you know, where they're comfortable. Uh, some people are really comfortable being technical and you can teach them a little bit about the, you know, the skill set that's required to do that communication. But I think typically if they come in and they've got good communication skills and they have some technical background, it's a little bit easier to help drive that direction. Um, like I say, with architecture, though, you want somebody that has deep practical knowledge, but now is willing to go up a level. And when I say go up a level, this is not quite, you know, dabble in so much of the detail, but to be able to put the pieces of the puzzle together and then explain it. So, again, that, that you know, that's really what we look for. I, I usually look for somebody that's got that technical background and that experience and then can walk and talk and chew gum at the same time. I love it. Walk, talk, chew gum at the same time. I think that's... um. You know, it sounds easier said than done for, for in, in a lot of cases, especially around InfoSec, um, which kind of brings up something very important that you talked about, which is being able to speak to the business unit in, in, a, in a way where you're not confusing them with information, you're not getting overly technical. And in a lot of cases, we earn our roles because of our technical abilities, not necessarily because of our social abilities, because when people think of InfoSec, they want, you know, I like to call it um, a, a few uh, a few years ago, someone, uh, uh, I was uh, a recruiter reached out to me and, and had me set up to, to speak to some company. We're looking to hire a CISO. And they were like, yeah, we're kind of looking for the hacker in the hooded shirt to lead our security program. And I was like, I think you have a misconception of what a CISO should be, but okay, I'll entertain this conversation just a little bit more than that. When when you talk to business and you're kind of trying to simplify something as complex as architecture, um, what are some of your best practices and what are some of the ways you really are able to deliver something, you know, simply to to folks in the business? I think a lot of it really depends upon where we are um, in a development life cycle or in a uh, build out of you know, an infrastructure or a service. So let's, let's say, for example, like cloud. Uh, I think a lot of it is, is that, uh, you know, well, if we just move everything to you know, pick a cloud provider, we just turn it on and everything goes. And it's like it's not that simple. You know, you have to take everything into consideration that you are doing internally and then saying, how can I do that uh, in the cloud infrastructure? Now, you may not be providing that service you know, to yourself or buying a specific solution, but you're certainly going to be dependent upon what they're doing and what you also want to bring to the table. As you see, you know, it's going to be easier for me to run or easy to manage. So I think a large part of that is really just trying to figure out how all the pieces are going to come in together. And then being able to, you know, move that communication stack back and forth. And so, you know, I look for people that really are going to be able to explain the high level goal. So in other words, set the goal and then drive down into what are the components that you need to put into place? And then how do all those pieces come together to provide you with the, the you know, the, the robust security model that you're looking for? The other thing that I think people, we, we you typically run into this, um, especially on a technical side is I can do this. I can do this doesn't necessarily mean, translate into 
is it something that I really need in order to deliver the service and to make sure that I've got adequate security or reasonable enough security to make the products or the solutions work? And I think that's part of the challenges is that you, you, you get technical people that want to do the absolute everything you must, and you, which is good, but everything else that you that are not necessarily required in order to deliver that solution. So, I mean, that that's part of the challenges is what do you really need versus I can bring all this stuff in. Well, great. But is it really going to add to the overarching security? Uh, and is it going to drive my drive me to the point where I can actually do what I want to do? And it's going to cost me so much. I'll never be able to make it you know, financially viable. Yeah, that's um. That's a very interesting conversation to have with business stakeholders, right? Because, you know, one of the common themes in a lot of, uh, you know, security circles when we're in our roundtables is we don't get enough budget, we don't get enough support. And I, I sometimes reverse that challenge back and I say, what are you not communicating to the business where they're not giving you what you need to do your job? Because mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that's that also your communication side, right? Right. I mean, there, there, there's a big thing for us about communication where, you know, we need to be uh, straightforward. We need to keep it simple. We need to explain the risk. We need to explain how we can mitigate the risk. We need to explain the overarching costs. And we need to be able to present it to the business in a way where, you know, we're leading them to the decision to nod and sign off on, on the budget request so that we can get our jobs done. And when I hear a lot of these conversations over, you know, we don't get enough money, it just... It, it, it mind boggles me as to why are we failing in communicating the urgency of cyber so much? Yeah, I, th- I think it's, it's a lot of it is, is also that, well, that, that'll never happen to me. Well, how do you know? I mean, if right. you don't put the controls in place, how, you're really going to keep yourself open. There's also the, the risk discussion because this isn't a, you know, nothing we do is zero risk. So it's what's your risk tolerance, what you, uh, you as a business willing to, um, put up with it, and that will help define what the controls are and how much it's going to cost to, you know, to build and operate. And I think there, there's a, a balance in there, which we really don't teach people very well, which is that risk reward trade-off, and especially around doing a risk assessment and risk analysis, and then having everybody understand what that means. I think, you know, because we'll walk in and we'll go, you know, here are the risks and here are the things that are, that are going to happen. And without actually telling them, what the downside is of avoiding these particular risks, because there's a cost associated with mitigation, um, then, you know, they really are, don't have the information, the necessary information to make a business decision. And, and again, that's, you know, if, if uh, you know, if you think about financial services, if we were zero risk, we would never lend money. Right. Right. And so again, you know, the thing is, is that to what's that risk reward trade off, where's that level at that the business is willing to accept the risk. And, and is there enough profit in what you're doing to be able to take that and then also to return the margins that you're looking for? So again, the same thing is, is security has to look at that and understand it. But we have to put those in terms that the business understands, not in technology terms or security terms. Otherwise, you know, you've lost the game and they, their eyes glaze over and they kind of like, you know, fall asleep for the rest of the, the discussion. So. so you've kind of in your current role, but even in your previous roles, you've kind of transitioned. Have you, when you transition from company to company, you know, is learning terminology, the internal terminology of a company very important for you? Absolutely. Um, you have to understand their, their language. And, and I'm not talking about, you know, English, French, Spanish. It's, 
What's the terminology that, that they use? And, and you need to be able to understand that in order to be able to explain what you're doing and then explain the risk reward trade-offs to the business. You know, some areas it's, it's a high risk item. I mean, you know, if you think about airplanes, that's a low risk item. You know, you, you build a lot of redundancy into your systems. Uh, whereas if you, you know, if you've got a, a, a shovel, there's not a lot of, you know, the, the risk in there is just, you know, making sure you don't do something in, that it, that it holds up as expected and that it doesn't fall apart. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's, you know, you've got to figure that model out and then adjust based upon what the business is that you're in and then be able to explain what you're doing, how it contributes to the success of the product and then do that risk reward trade-off. Yeah, that risk reward trade-off is um, is a challenge. I think in a lot of places, you know, I, I often talk about your first, you know, six months in your role, right, and how you're learning for six months. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you need to learn is what are the KPIs that the company actually cares about, and what's the language that they use in the business sense that's communicated down. So the best way to understand that I always tell people is go hang out with the people you probably never want to hang out with the salespeople and whatever the language the salespeople are talking, understand they represent the business in the way they communicate. So if you get that, you'll be able to translate that quickly into, into upstream um, and into the business uh, more so than let's say, for example, you know, hanging out with the, with the, the IT team or the ops team. No, I totally agree. And I think, you know, from, from uh, the stuff that, and I, and I, I like your approach uh, is hang out with the sales staff. Never really thought about that. That was actually a really good idea. Now, you know, in one of the, the positions that I've had, we did hang out and we were, you know, tightly aligned with the sales team. So you were listening to what they were saying and kind of going, Oh boy, this is going to be fun. Um, but again, you learn a lot about what, uh, about the product. You learn a lot about how it's being marketed and how things are being pushed forward. Um, you also get to understand the value of security, you know, one way or the other in, in the overall project and the program. Um, you know, I typically try to work with the business teams and so hang out with the business teams in the first, you know, 90 to 100 days just to understand as much as I can about the business. You know, and you're not doing it 100% of the time, but you're attending you know, meetings that your team has with your business partners. You're attending just you know, general business partner meetings that you can get yourself into so that you really start to understand their language. You start to understand their risk tolerance. Um, you start to understand what they're really trying to do and where they're trying to go. And I think that helps you really formulate your strategy moving forward as to how you want to organize your security program, as well as you know things like architecture uh, and the kind of resources that you're going to need to drive that event or the right events, I should say. Yeah, that's uh, I, I love that. You know, let's talk a bit about security architecture here. Um, you know, and a, a lot of people, you know, when they think of, uh, you know, infosec architecture, um, I, I think in their minds, they think of just people who are probably strategizing. How true is that? There, there's there's certainly a strategy approach. Uh, and I think a lot of that is that it depends upon what you're doing. And, and you know, from my perspective is I we work to get our teams integrated in with the business. So as the business is looking at the business strategy, we're understanding how we can drive you know, technology, especially security technology strategy or security strategy, even if it's not technology driven, 
to support what the business wants to do. And again, you got to take into consideration their risk tolerance and you know that kind of stuff. But I think it's important to really, you know, where's the business want to go? What's the business's strategy? How are they doing it? And then what's the technology strategy? And then how can you influence that with the architecture that's going to drive the right result? And then again, you know, what controls do you need to have in place? What solutions can you come up with that will drive that control? And then how does it all integrate in with where the business wants to go? And, and again, is, is that, you know, you need to look at all the corresponding components that support it and all the rest of it. But again, it's just really that high level focusing. This is what you need to do in order to support where you want to go. And here's how you go about doing that. Right. And that's that's really, really interesting. So, folks, we are um, going to let you know that the rest of this episode is going to be available at atpcyberfintech.com. Go now and register for the event. Because that's how you're going to catch the rest of my conversation with Sam. I know, I know. But go to atpcyberfintech.com. You see it right there below. It's kind of right there on the screen. atpcyberfintech.com. Register to be part of our April 27th hybrid event. Uh, We'll have an in-person crowd and a virtual. This will be one of our awesome virtual sessions um, until our Georgia Cyber Week coming up in September. So uh, for those tuning in and watching us um, and uh, on YouTube or listening on your favorite podcast listening platform. Again, atpcyberfintech.com. Link is in the show notes. Go register now. You'll catch the rest of my conversation with Sam there. Um, Make sure to subscribe, make sure to comment and let us know what you think of the show. Again, atpcyberfintech.com and we'll be uh, there for the rest of the session. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues. And get all the latest information at cyberhubpodcast.com.